I reinforce what I said this morning. I mean, we really need partnership. We, uh, I would ask every member to seriously think about committing to, to, to partnering at a platinum partnership, about £25 a month, because we need you to partner with us, especially here. And I won't go into all the, the reasons for that or the blessings for it. Just take my word for it. One day we will. And you know, we can look at that. There's immense reasons why you should bless locally. Because that's why you're here. So very often we miss what's right under your nose. And then we wonder why things don't work quite right for us. So please consider partnering so we can stay on air. We're looking at, obviously, 2010. One person here in this church has paid for the whole year. One person gave one gift that covered the whole year on television. So now it's the partners, and I know several of you here have already signed up, but now it's the partners who are coming behind that leadership that are causing us to stay on in 2010. Okay, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, and we've gathered because we want that. We want your, your word in our hearts, and specifically regarding prosperity, and specifically re with regard to business and business life. Would you teach us how we should be? Lord, everyone here can advance in this area, all of us. And we ask you to give us the wisdom, give us the insight, give us the understanding that we need. Lord, come Holy Spirit, impart it to us. If we're deaf, open our ears. If we're blind to it, let us see what we need to see. God, prosper us with a purpose. Prosper us for the kingdom. Prosper us for the gospel. And we give ourselves to you for that. God, remove greed far from us. We want nothing to do with it. And let us have faith, good faith, proper faith, holy faith, godly faith in you to, to use us, to take hold of us. So come tonight, Lord. Let this change our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The hardest working people on earth are often poor. Hard work doesn't guarantee anything. If you look at those who break up the, the roads or those who rise early in the morning and work all day and work all night or work three jobs, they don't necessarily make any advances through that. And whilst hard work is very commendable, amen, that's great, but the full counsel of the scriptures teach us not just to work hard, but also to work smart. And indeed, that's what wisdom is about. It's adding wisdom to our efforts, adding, you know, making it smart energy, if you like. And the scriptures, particularly in Proverbs, sum this all up in the word diligence. Smart work and hard work come together in diligence. And I want to explain a little bit about what that word actually means biblically, because personally, I could have a very, you know, wrong concept of it. I could think being diligent is just being hardworking, but it isn't. And Proverbs refers to the word again and again and again and again. It says that it is actually smart working, not just hard working. It says that it's someone who would plan, someone who would look ahead and see if they're being efficient enough in what they're doing, someone who is pure in intent. This is biblical diligence. Someone who strives for excellence. And it goes on to list a number of things in that area. A person who's diligent will be 
creatively persistent. So when you look at a problem that you're facing, say you've started a business or you want to start a business, you look at an issue that's pressing ahead of you, you look at a possible obstacle, and you will find, you will seek God and come up, God will put in your heart creative ways, right? He's a creator, right? Right? God is the creator. And whatever business you start, you bring God in. He's your business partner. And God will give you a creative persistence to overcome any obstacle that might come your way. As long as you have built your business on biblical principles and tithing and giving and faith and all that, and you're operating on proper ethics, it will not be a problem. But as a business leader, as a director, as a person who's starting your company, you need to get creative, big time. And seek God for, for ways to move forward, smart working in other words. You do need to plan. We need to plan very, very well. We need to look and see, is what I'm doing actually efficient? Or am I losing energy? Am I wasting time? And constantly have an eye for that. And of course, ec excellence is a biblical command. And by pure, when it talks about uh, the, 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 the biblically diligent person being pure, it's really referring to motives. That the motives of your heart would be correct, that you would have come through the, the, the sieve of the Bible and, and pushed away any wrong motives within you for starting any business. In fact, tonight I want to switch between business and church, if I may because I understand the church life very well, and I want to apply it just both ways. Unfortunately, many people would rather, be, would rather work hard than think hard. They'd rather not bother. They'd see it as too stressful. We live in a generation that's obsessed with amusement, you know? Uh, the word amusement means to not have to think. It's A means no, amuse means to think. And we live in a society that is absolutely obsessed with not having to think. They want amusement all the time. And many people would rather not think too hard, would rather just go to work. They give up. They don't think it's possible that God could use them. Don't think it's possible that God could give them wisdom for business. But of course, He can, right? Don't, you know, buy into that. There's another thing. If you turn, actually, in the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 12, I want to start there tonight. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. This is just one of the scriptures that refer to the diligent. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24 says this. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. And you can read right through the whole of Proverbs there and you will see many warnings given to those who are lazy. Look, folks, my basic nature is lazy. I don't know about you, right? But I'm a human being. I like lying in bed. I like sleeping, right? I think basic human nature, I like what Yonggi Cho, you know, David Yonggi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world, not just 24-hour prayer, but seven days, 24-hour prayer. And when he teaches on prayer, he always starts the same way. He gets up and says, I hate getting up early. You know? And there, there, there's something in him there that he's faced the reality of himself and overcome it. Amen? So I need to accept that there's parts of me that can be lazy. And I need to heed the warnings given, particularly in Proverbs, about being lazy. Because it says if you're lazy, you're going to be eaten up. Right? Whilst the diligent person, they're going to be on top. 
in anything and everything they put their hand to. If you're lazy, get used to the fact of being ruled. Because you're going to be ruled for your whole life long. That's your lot. You've chosen it. Right? Whereas those who become diligent and exercise that will go on to lead, will go on to rule in business or in whatever they put their hand to. Those who are lazy will ultimately struggle to get by. And that's in Proverbs 28, 19, where it warns us of that. Whereas those who are diligent will go from increase to increase. So human nature, and certainly my nature, would tend to laziness. And I've got to accept that, feel the pain, and do it anyway. Listen to this list of promises in the book of Proverbs to those who commit themselves to excellence in life. If it's, it's, it says this, you will gain knowledge if you're diligent. You will gain discretion. You will gain protection. You will gain success. You will have health. You will have long life. You will have honor. You will have abundance. You will have favor with those in authority. You can have confidence. It will develop your character. It will give you good relationships. It will give you a meaningful life. And ultimately, it will give you wisdom. As a church and churches around the world, we need to prosper. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says this. You may devote yourself to worship. See, see to it, however, he says, that you excel in giving, right? We read it this morning. See to it just as you excel in worship, just as you excel in prayer, just as you have these passions in your life, Paul says to us, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. And that means we need to prosper. All of us need to prosper. How are we going to do that? And I think this is where business comes in. We should be that head and not the tail. And we should look at, at, at Solomon particularly, the advice he gives, how he gives it, and where he leads us to. Now you could say, well, hang on a minute. Was Solomon a businessman then? Oh, absolutely he was. Just put yourself in Solomon's position. Here he is. David's handed over the job to him of building the temple. Put yourself back there. He has been, you know, it's just really been placed on him. You're going to build the temple, this absolutely humongous edifice. And off he goes. This involves billions. It involves many nations. He's going to have to go and befriend foreign rulers. He's going to have to start a whole business network. It was no simple task. It was a huge, huge, huge task. And you can pluck out the key steps that Solomon saw. Here's this guy. He's starting out and he's thinking, wow, one massive task I've got to achieve. Now, where on earth do I begin? And he began, you could use one scripture there. He said this, do you know what I need to do? I need to cast my bread upon the waters. And after many days, I will see the return on my investment. And Solomon's first step was this. He looked around him there in Israel. And do you know what? The things he needed to succeed weren't there. He was going to build a temple. He needed cedars. He needed gold. He needed this. He needed that. He did not have the actual commodities that he needed. They were over the waters. They were overseas. They were in other countries. And he sat back and he thought, if I'm ever going to succeed at what I'm putting my hand to, I'm going to have to travel 
over waters. I'm going to have to cast bread as money in any generation. I'm going to have to cast my bread. I'm going to have to put an expenditure overseas where I can get these things and bring them back to build this temple. And some people can't even do that. We're so tied into our locality, so stuck with where we're at. When we, when we got married, I can tell you folks, we sincerely sought God. We sincerely sought God. We didn't know what to do. We didn't have a lot of money. And, but the one thing we had was, was faith that God would lead us and we began to seek Him and, and pray. One day I'm in Dublin and God spoke to me. And do you know what He talked to me about? <laughs> Overseas. Hasn't changed, has He? God spoke to me. You know, He said, I'm sitting in Dublin and God spoke Liverpool. And I heard it. And I knew I heard it. So I said to the leaders over there, we're going to Liverpool. Why? Don't know. What are you going to do? Don't know. But that's where we're going. So we go over there. We get a plane, land in Liverpool, walk into the city center. What do we do now, Lord? <laughs> we're here. What happens now? Don't know. So we end up in a pub. Not drinking. We're having lunch, you know. We end up in a pub and we're sitting in the window and we're eating our dinner. And I'm thinking, Lord, God, what are we doing here? What's going on? I know I'm in the right place. And as I'm eating my dinner overseas, I get a word from the Lord again. Look, there's a shop, just a little shop. And it's an estate agent. He has lettings for properties. And God says, go in there. Well, I thought it was ridiculous. I'm not going to go in there. I just carry on eating my fish and chips. I did. I ignored it. I thought that couldn't have been God. I'm just hearing things. And we go out. We're walking down the street, walking away, and Jeanette starts, said, hang on a minute. She says to me, when I, she, this is what she said, when she was eating her dinner, God spoke to her and said that we were to go into the little shop across the road. The same word. I thought, you're kidding me. That's what I heard. Let's go over. So we go in. We go in and say, hello. The guy said, what do you want? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, well, why did you come in? I don't know. I'm not going to say God told me to come into your shop. So we sat down. He said, what are you doing? Well, we're from Dublin, you know. We're just And in the end, I thought, this is hopeless. So I just told them our story. I said, look, I'm a minister. We just got married. I don't know what to do. I need somehow to create a business. Because the churches we work for, they're missions churches. They can never afford to keep us. And we, we, it's very insecure. And I know what, what God wants here. And I don't know what to do. I tell you, he listened intently. And at the end, when we explained everything to him, he said this. Tomorrow, I have a meeting. It doesn't happen very often, but there's a stockbroker flying into Liverpool. I've got like half an hour with him. It's a whole line of people to see him, but I've got my half-hour slot. I'll give it to you. This guy can help you. He can really help you. And the next day, we turned up. In comes the guy. And, well, we ended up buying five properties off that guy. We made 250,000 pounds. It's good to listen to God. Listen to him, wait, and God sent me straight overseas. What I needed for a successful business wasn't in Dublin. It was the first step to be able to be willing to do that. And Solomon had to do the same thing. So whatever your business is, whatever you're involved in, think about it. What do you buy? For instance, if you happen to have a business buying throat sweets or you were a chemist or something, I wouldn't buy them in Bulgaria. Because when we were in Bulgaria, I won't mention the name of the company, but a very famous throat sweet, my throat was sore and I went into the shop. I said, I need, you know, some of those throat sweets. 
Five pounds? I thought you might, oh, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. I'm much better now. I thought that's crazy. Now, see, if you were involved in a local business there, you can't buy that, can you? You're going to have to go overseas. You're going to have to find somewhere that's cheaper than that to buy whatever it is you deal in. Now, it seems like a really simple principle, but many people are not willing to do it. They will just look to the corner, and if it's not there, they'll give up. That's a sluggard. You need to seek God. Wait until you hear. Remember, if you do not seek Him until you find, you haven't sought Him at all. If you do not wait until you hear, you weren't waiting at all. It's just impatience, and away we go. So the first thing we see Solomon do is he was willing to cast his bread upon the waters. The next thing we see involves not just his actions, but his personality. And he goes on to say this, he who wins souls is wise. I'm not talking about evangelism, by the way, although I do love that scripture for evangelism, right? It's a great scripture to use, you know, but it isn't, the whole context of that chapter has got nothing to do with evangelism. He's talking about business. It's all about business. And he saw that he needed to win influence over people. He who wins souls towards your cause in business is wise. That's what he's talking about. So if you have a dream, you have a task, God's given you a business plan, you're not alone. You're not going to make it on your own. You're going to have to bring people into that task. You're going to have to involve others in it. You're going to have to share your dream, share your vision. And to do so, you're going to have to be a very winning sort of person. And here's a list of some things that you might need to think about. Solomon says, he who wins souls is wise. So you've got a business plan. Now you need to go and find partners. You need to go and find people to work with you. You're going to have to win them over to your cause. You're going to have to win them over to believe in what you're doing. So they're going to be asking themselves, is what you're doing worthy? Is it ethical? Is it something good? I had one guy approach me once, and he was talking about investments. He wondered if I wanted to get involved with him. I said, tell me about what you're doing. And he was involved in the development of weapons, like weapons of mass destruction sort of thing, you know. It was weapons, big bucks involved. And he was telling me about all the money he was making, because weapons development is a huge industry. And he was saying, you know, if you give us this, and I thought about it, I said, you know what, I don't think I want to make any money on weapons. As much as, hey, I, I know we need to go to war sometimes, God did it all the time. And I understand all that. I just don't feel too comfortable about developing weapons. Okay. Worthy? Well, I wasn't convinced that for a Christian that, that, you know, that that's a particularly worthy goal. You need to be able to convince those who are joining you in your business that it's worthy. That it's essential. Are you, is your business idea a waste of time? Is it just a dream that you've got, or is it something that, that's actually needed out there? Is it commendable? Now, you all know the story of curves. Anybody know about curves? Nobody know about curves? Wow. Okay. So there's a businessman. He has a dream. He's going to set up a local keep-fit center only for women, and he's going to call it curves. And he sets up his center, but he doesn't have, he's, he's born again, but he doesn't have a lot. He's backslidden. So he doesn't tithe from his profits, but he becomes successful. And the business takes off, and after a little while, it's maybe not as quite as good as it was, and in the end, he just crashes out of business. He loses everything. And having lost everything, having had quite a successful business, it's all gone. And he's out for a walk. 
he sits down and he looks to God. And he says this, I, I was wrong. I let the business lead me instead of you leading me. And he said to God, God, would you give me a second chance in business? And if you do, listen to this, and if you do, I will tithe 80% of my profit. 80%. And he felt that God said, you know, go and start your business again. He goes back and he starts curves, relaunches the whole thing. Now tell me, today, is Curves the biggest franchise in America? No. Is it the biggest franchise in Europe? No. It's the biggest franchise on earth. He's got the biggest franchise in the world. Simply because he, he decided, he gave it back to God. Came back, made a mistake. Maybe we're not going to be successful in business overnight. Maybe you're going to make a few blunders. He certainly made a blunder, but he put it right. Well, that's a real step of faith, isn't it? Imagine launching out and, and being willing to tithe 80%, having that much faith. That's fantastic. But God was with him. Cast your bread upon the waters. Be willing to look overseas for any investment that you might make. For instance, like property development right now in Eastern Europe is huge. I know the world's in a real crisis right now. But you could look at that. You could look at overseas investments. Gold is, is a very dodgy investment right now. It's so expensive. What is it, 800 and odd dollars an ounce right now? So you, you, I'd, I'd stay back. I know everybody tells you to buy gold, but I'd stay back from that because it's too expensive. You're buying at that rate, man. So look overseas. Look beyond the box. Don't just be on your street corner, right? Cast your bread, over, uh, cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days you'll see a return. Next, he realizes that he's going to have to win friends and influence people. He's going to have to bring people in, and that's going to involve them believing in his business plan. After that, oops, after that, there's a list of seven steps that you can work your way through the book of Proverbs, and you will find that Solomon did. They may seem quite simple, many of them, but they're not that simple. And often we make the biggest mistake in, in, in messing simple things, right? How did Solomon begin then? in launching his business plan. Number one, he declared his intention. He told people what he was actually going to do. And sometimes, especially with Christians, we can be very retiring, very shy, step back, and God could have put something in your heart, and so often you have to poke and prod, and all of a sudden, someone comes out with their plan. You need to get over that. So if God has given you a business plan, you need to declare it and start to announce it to people because God could have people who want to work with you, right? But you've never said it. I love, again, Andrew Womack's story about this. There he was. He, he, didn't, he had no food, no money, couple of kids, struggling ministry, and didn't know what was going wrong. Knew God had called him. And he, he saw he knew a neighbor of his needed a, a garage painted, you know? And he went over. He said, I'll paint your garage. And Womack's there painting the garage, and the guy comes over and stands over him and says, well, how are you doing anyway? And for the first time, Womack says, actually, I'm struggling. I haven't got any money. And the man says, wow, I knew it. I knew it. God's been prompting me to bless you for weeks and weeks, but I thought you were okay because you didn't say anything. And so it is with business, you see. You could have a plan something inside but because you don't tell people no one knows 
Solomon declared his intention. Right? He told everybody, we're going to build this temple. This is what we're going to do. And then people know what you're doing. Secondly, he built an alliance. Now, not just any alliance. You've got to be well careful. I've seen some right messes with this business here. Building the wrong sort of alliance in life, you know? You need a godly alliance. Amen. You need a, an alliance with people like yourself, people who, you know, are devoted to God. When God wants to bless someone in this way, he brings a person. And when the devil wants to destroy your business, <laughs> the devil will send a person to you. And you need to know which one is which. When it says alliance, it's not just alliance with anybody. There's a lot of coincidences in life, you know, that aren't God. Remember Jonah, when God called Jonah and he ran away? And Jonah ended up in the port. And the Bible says that when Jonah arrived in the port, there was a ship sitting there waiting. Remember that line? And Jonah, oh, there you go. Look, I was right to run away. God didn't want me to go, did he? And there's coincidences like that he should have gone back and preached just like he was told to do. There's all sorts of coincidences in life. Just because you bump into someone doesn't necessarily mean that you're to sign up with them and become partners with them. There's a lot more to it than that, right? And we're talking about the television program tonight. And uh, just about six or seven months ago, before we launched... We need to raise funds to, 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 to go on air. And I had a phone call from London from a new TV station that was being launched, a new Christian channel. And they were looking for five directors, and they wanted me to join their team and come and do it. Now, that was a very attractive offer because we get free airtime, right? Or very cheap airtime and some free airtime. So I go down to London, and I'm sitting with the chairman of this new channel. And he says, this is what we want you to do. We want you to vet the people who are going on air and put the cuckoo ones out, you know, look at the programs and see who's who. I said, okay, I think we could do that. <laughs> and there was other guy, but I wanted to know about the others. There's five guys. So tell me about the Alliance. Tell me who these people are. And he started, he just got to the first one. <laughs> that was it. One guy, uh, he was a Muslim. I said, it's a Christian channel, huh? Oh, yeah, Christian Channel. What's the Muslim doing on the panel then? I, I've got, you know, God bless, I, I, I respect all faiths, including Islam. Sincerely wrong, in my opinion. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. But I, I said to the guy, so he has a vote, right? Oh, yes, he has a vote. We need to listen. I said, listen, I, I can't, this is a very attractive offer. But I cannot, with all good conscience, sign up with you and launch a Christian television channel when there's a Muslim who has a vote on our panel. You need to think very seriously about what you're doing. And we never did. We never did. We didn't sign up with him because it was a silly, it was a stupid mistake he was making. He thinks an alliance means he can do anything. And no, it doesn't. You need to get an alliance with people of God, right? Those who are born again. You need to find people of integrity, people of a like spirit to you, not just anyone, right? Next thing, Solomon found out what other people needed. Did you ever watch the Dragon's Den? It's called different names all over the world. It's in about 20-odd countries. They all go by different titles. But it's where entrepreneurs come in and they present a business plan to a panel of multimillionaires. You know? And they, it's, it's very funny. <laughs> because some guys go in there and you think, oh, you know, what are you thinking about? For many people, it's not a business, it's a hobby. You know, they can come in with the most ridiculous of things, thinking it's a great idea, but it's a waste of money. 
Some people come in with a crusade. Not a business at all. And of course, they get, they, they get absolutely toasted in there. But he found out what the needs were. It's a business, right? So therefore, it's going to have to make money. And you need to know what people need. I used to deliver kosher bread, you know. And there was this new shop opened in Dublin. Actually, he opened a very pretentious shop. He had a, like a French name over it. I can't speak French, but last something, there's there something, you know. <laughs> and he used to get, the baker we worked for was really expensive bread, very. And he was getting like all these very expensive breads delivered, but he was in a bad area. I mean, that sort of, people didn't go over there. And I delivered that bread for about a year, and he was going nowhere. And in the end, he stopped ordering the fancy croissants and started ordering burger buns. You know, and he changed his name like the Fat Sam's or something, and started selling... <laughs> He started selling burgers and they went off. They took off. The business was fine. What do people need? The people in that area did not need, they didn't want what he was selling. So then it's just a bit of a hobby and you need to decide. Is it a hobby or is it a business? Which is it? Because hobbies are, you can spend all your money on a hobby and get nowhere. And people are not going to respect that. So you're not going to get partners. So Solomon found out exactly what was needed to achieve his goal. He then began to bring one particular individual called Hiram. And he brought that man in with him. And Solomon and Hiram from that point on worked side by side to achieve the building of the temple. Now you can look at how he speaks about Hiram right through Proverbs. Solomon had the height of respect for him. And that's something you're going to have to develop. If you're going to have a partner in business with you, you need to show respect to that person, right? If you disrespect someone, you will repel them from you. Those who you disrespect bounce off you. They'll leave you. They'll walk away from you. And they'll also show you a lot of disrespect. Disrespect and respect are spiritual things. I can tell if you respect me. I don't need to ask. I can sense it. And it's very important in business. It's not a master-slave type mindset. And some people approach business like that, like a hardhead. That ain't going to work out there. You're not going to have a very happy business and you're probably not going to stay in it and no one will stay with you. So Solomon had an issue of respect and very high honor with those he worked with. He operated in mutual trust with Hiram. And this is very important. I've seen a host of this in churches where churches go wrong because a, a, a pastor will take on an assistant pastor who he doesn't trust. You know, he'll take on an assistant pastor and then give him a job to do. And he's constantly running around, checking up on him. And the guy, they start arguing and the thing doesn't work. You see it again and again and again. And you go to such a pastor and say, why did you take the guy on if you didn't trust him? Oh, I was going to train him. I was going to do this. You can't. There has to be mutual trust. If you don't trust the person, don't employ them. Right? But people just say, oh, they'll learn on the job or they'll do this. You get yourself in a load of grief and it probably won't end well. Woolworths, you probably heard about Woolworths. It's a big store here in the UK. They've just gone bust. And I saw the news the other day and there was one store where the, some of the managers were given the franchise and they were saying they could take the store and they could still operate, not under the name, I think this manager is going to call it Wellworths. And it was such a good article, such a good news uh, piece. 
here's this store, all the Woolworths have closed down, and here's this manageress, and she's on the, on the telly, and she says, we're going to make this thing work. This is a good store. The people want this here. The locals love this store. They always want to come here. And so they gave her the franchise. So she's opening back up. But listen, she's opening back up with the same staff. The same people who worked for her under Woolworths were now coming back in. And the camera went around and interviewed them. They were waiting to get on with the job. It was their shop. It was their job. This is, they were proud of their place. You see? That manageress was very, very good. She had, she had shared ownership. Point six there. And whatever your business is, if you're going to be a control freak, no one can get near you. Your motives are wrong. Right? Open up. Relax. And that woman, I just noticed what a good example of sharing ownership. And this is a big, big issue in churches, you know. For me, it's one of the keys. One of the absolute keys for a happy church and a growing church. What is? Sharing ownership. You can't be a control freak. The church is His. Amen. The church is yours. Amen. The church is mine. Amen. Right? The church is ours. It's got to be all. You see, if the church is mine, there'll be nobody here. If the church is yours, we'll have chaos. Excuse me. You know what I mean? You'll have rebellion. There'll be no leadership. So the church most certainly is mine and it has to be. The church most certainly is yours and it has to be. The church above all is his, but the church is ours. It's all of them. And if it isn't all of them, you'll find you're not going to grow. Because people don't, they don't own it. They've got to own it. And the same with your business. If you intend to bring people in with you, you had best get them very interested, like the previous slide, get them very interested in the worthiness of your call, your task, and what you're asking them to join you in, right? And there is not just a successful business, but a happy business. And lastly there, and this is very important, he developed a very diverse support network. And you can look at all the different people through Proverbs, and it, it's fascinating to see, I mean, Solomon really was wise. He knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't alone. He wasn't a lone ranger. Do you know what one of the Proverbs says this? When two walk along together and one trips, he's okay because his brother's there to pick him up. But woe to the one who walks alone. For when he falls, who is there? No one. And you don't want that in the church and you certainly don't want that in business. Because business is just like anything else. It has its ups, it has its downs. It has its good days, it has its bad days. And you need people around you. And I want to just expand that last point because to me this is probably the most important thing about success is that you bring other people in. Who do you want then to be? Remember, you're not going to do it alone. Cast your bread upon the waters. He who wins souls is wise. So Solomon begins to bring people into his business plan in order to be a success. Nothing's changed. You have to do the same thing. How are you going to do that and who are you looking for? What type of person are you looking for? Well, first of all, those who cause you to obey. Those who will watch your back. And I've worked in many churches many years, nearly 20 years now, with many different types of pastor. And I must say, I've shared this before, but when I saw Pastor Tom for the first time, that was it. 
I knew now that is a good minister. I came back, I told some of you. I said, now that is a good minister. And do you know why? Because he's one of those who would cause you to obey. And I need someone, I don't need a yes man. A yes man will see the church destroyed. I don't need a yes man, neither do you in your business, by the way. What if you're making a wrong decision? Oh, yes, go on ahead, crash. <laughs> you don't need a yes man. You need someone of integrity, someone of character, someone who'll watch your back and say, no, what are you doing? That's crazy. That's what you need, right? So you need those around you who will be truthful enough to you, honest enough with you to watch your back, who know the real you and are still willing to work with you who are still willing to come under your leadership, but they're not so afraid of you that they're afraid to say, you know, never say no. You have to have those around you who will balance you out, especially if you're a business director of any sort, because business directors tend to be the visionaries, the go-ahead types. Well, you need counterbalanced, right? That's the sort of person you need. You need self-correctors. And what, what, what do we mean by that? I mean, you can't spend all your day looking after your staff. Your staff need to work, don't they? Right? So you, you can't take on people who are so full of problems that you're going to spend. It's the same in the church. You can't take on ministry staff that you're constantly ministering to. Something went wrong there, didn't it? That happens all the time. And you can't be taking on people. Don't take on people who you're constantly having to laboriously minister to and help and, and guide and everything else. That's going to drain you. You will have no successful success in business or in churches. One church we took over, I didn't plant that church. It was already a good number there when we entered it. And we come in and the church has stayed the same number for many years. It's pretty obvious why. So we arrived and look around and thought, well, that's wrong, this is wrong. I said, right, what we're going to do is we need to change this and change that. Every time I opened my mouth, someone would say, you can't do that. I'll call her Mary. You can't do that. Mary will complain. Huh? We need to move those chairs. You can't move the chairs. Mary will complain. We need to move the service from half ten to eleven. You can't do that. Mary will never. Who's Mary? Who's Mary? And there was this woman dominating and controlling the place. And I remember sitting down with dear old Mary. I said, let me tell you something. I will not be walking on eggshells around you. Because everyone here seems to be afraid of you. And everybody seems so frightened of upsetting you. But let me tell you something. Things have changed. And I am not afraid of upsetting. I am not going to walk on eggshells. So either you accept that and move with the changes. Or we'll you know, step back, step down. Now she did step down and then left. Bye-bye, Mary. Okay? Successful church. Now, what do you want? You cannot have staff that are going to tell you what to do or manipulate you or control you. Right? They're going to, they're going to destroy your business. So it's got to be people that you're able to work with and that are actually able you know, to do the work and not be, need your attention all the time. You need to be able to tell them what to do. If they're your staff member... And you can't tell them what to do. You're in trouble. <laughs> They're leading you. So you need to be able to take on people who you can tell, I need you to do this. And if they say no, I mean, you need to be thinking, clear off. This is a business, right? You need to be able to do that for any success here. You need to be able to have a staff that help you achieve your goal. You set the priorities, not them. So I've used this example of, of, of Jeanette before with you. 
It's a very good example. When we first came, came here, Jeanette would be working downstairs in the office, and a few times I went down, and she'd be working away there. I said, listen, I need you to, to leave that a minute. I need you to do this. And she would say, I can't do that. I'm doing this. You see? I said, well, I need you to leave that because I need this done. And, of course, she wouldn't want to do it. So in the end, we had to have one of our little talks. <laughs> you know, they're famous, aren't they? I sit down very nicely. I said, listen, Jeanette, let me tell you something. Nothing's going to work. The church won't grow. You're not going to be happy. I'm going to be very unhappy. Nothing's going to work like this. I set the priority, right? I'm the leader. I say what the priority is. I know you want to do that, and I care about that. But because I'm the leader, it's called supervision. You've got vision at this level. Well, the leader has supervision. They see over the top of that. And believe me, if you don't leave that and do this, the church won't move. So get used to it. You've got to learn to follow the leader. I know it's important, but that's why there's leadership. And it's exactly the same in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the church doesn't, because they've got to do worship practice. And we explain to Jesus, I can't do it, Lord, because I've got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? So it's exactly the same thing. God, we can't do what you're asking us to do because we're busy with ministry. And so the gospel goes down the plug hole, right? The very thing that was his priority, right? It's a major, major, major important issue in any successful business. Who sets the priority? You do if you're the director. You do. Very important. John Bevere wrote a fantastic book called The Bait of Satan. It's excellent. All about that point. All about that very point with Benny Hinn. He was Benny Hinn's youth pastor in the church. And God spoke to Benny Hinn and told him he was to have no uh, youth work. It was a major youth event, but he told John Bevere to organize one. And they ended up crashing. And Bevere was out of ministry for like six months. All because he wanted to do the thing when Benny Hinn was saying no. It was a timing issue. It took six months. And everything went wrong for Benny Head in that six months period. And out of that came the book, The Bait of Satan, where he realized he was right in doing the thing he had, but he was wrong to disobey the leader. You see? So it's, just, it's important in the church. It's vital, I think, but it's equally important in a business. You need to be able to set the priority in your business at all times. Next, you need those around you who are going to unlock your faith. People who believe in your business. You don't want to take people on who are going to be negative or this will never work sort of attitude, right? People who actually believe like that Wellworth team. That's fantastic. That's a dream team right there. They believed in the shop. They believed in the manageress. They believed it was a business that was going to work and you could see it. Good stuff, right? Next, you need to be careful if you're bringing on employees, you need to be careful of having those around you who have got this, you're lucky to have me attitude. And you get this in churches all the time. In fact, I remember sitting in a church I was visiting and I was listening to the pastor talking and he had a, this church is lucky to have me attitude. And I remember sitting there thinking, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Sure enough, he was gone. No time at all, there was somebody else in to take his place. And many, there's many areas in churches. Just talk about churches a minute. There's many areas in churches where people are very vulnerable to the attitude that you're very lucky to have me. There's worship leaders. It's a very common problem. 
where the worship leader will walk in and think, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm here. We don't have anyone like that. Praise God. The opposite. Got a great team. Have to say that in case I get in trouble. <laughs> the, but it's true. Very vulnerable, you see. Satan fell, remember? It was worship, you see. It was a temptation. And it's, it hasn't changed. The prayer ministry in churches. Very often people have that attitude too. You're very lucky to have me in your church, you know. That's no good. And you can't have staff like that. People who come in the, the cleaning team. Cleaning teams in many churches get a chip on their shoulder, get a cocky attitude. The evangelism team, probably the most susceptible of all, of having this, you're lucky to have me attitude. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't care what you do. You're lucky to have a church to go to. And I thank God that I dare stand here and even open my mouth on behalf of my Savior. And God forgive me and any of us if that thought should ever cross our minds. Amen. That you know, all over this world, people can't even have churches. And here we are where we've got our ministries and we can become little kings in those areas. You need to watch that. Be very careful. You can't work with people like that because if they don't drop that attitude, they're not going to stay in ministry. You're going to have to get rid of them, right? They're going to have to step down. No problem. Happens all the time. But attitudes creep in. Bad attitudes, stinking attitudes. And you've got to get them out all the time. Now they're in churches, they'll be in your business. When they start turning up late and expect you to be grateful, hey, 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 let, let's get this straight here. You're working for me. And there's going to be clear leadership. So watch for that. Seventhly, you need to look for people to be on your team, people to support you in business who are going to walk in love. Because if you're the director, and I know many of you here have either started your own business or are going to start your own business. If you're the director, chances are you're a hard hitter. Chances are you're someone who's going to be proactive. You're going to be quite aggressive out there doing your work. You're still a Christian. So you're going to need someone right alongside you who's going to nudge you and say, that's a bit sharp right there. He's, I, I need a bit of that, don't I? You need someone right there who's going to remind you that you're a Christian. Remember those ethics right the way along. Because business is hard life, isn't it? It's a tough old world out there. You need someone who's going to put that word of love in there, that reminder that we're always to walk in love. And you need those, ultimately, who are going to be loyal to your vision and who are going to defend you in your absence. That you can leave your business, take a day off, and walk away and know that those people are going to see it through. Isn't it amazing how simple principles are? The simplest principles in the world can build a very successful business. Put that together, couple that with what we did this morning, with the tithing and the faith principles. Put those ethics and those principles for operation into practice, and we cannot fail. Whatever you put your hand to, get God right there with you, and you will be fine. You might need to change. Might be like curves, where he was on the wrong road. He had to stop. Say, God, everything's gone wrong. God, not making money. What have I done wrong? And God says, this is what you've done wrong. We're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to do it again. And God gave a second chance. Right? Let's just pray for ourselves and pray for God to bless whatever we do. Just bow your heads. Just invite the worship team back. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us a, a, a good country here to live in, for prosperity all around us and for the freedom to operate that this is not a 
crazy dictatorship as there are so many in this world. I thank you for the freedom we have even to start a business. And Lord, we come to you. We offer you our ingenuity, our skills, our giftings, our passions. And we offer you our businesses. And all those here who have already started, Father, would you add to them tonight any wisdom they need? Even if it's one point from what we've seen and what we've heard, let them take that and put it into practice. And Lord, for those that have dreams and visions within them that you have given, would you unearth those and help them to tell others, maybe for the first time, to speak out and say, I believe that this is what I am to do or that is what I am to do. We commit ourselves to you. May you bring good success to us, Father, in all we do. I ask it in Jesus' name.